Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. How did you get the idea for Edge of Coral? Because, and I've always wanted to tell you this, the minute that I heard about that movie, and I, I remember this literally like it was yesterday, I think I heard about it from Greg Bennick, I was like, man, I wish I would have made that movie. So <laughs> how did that, how did the idea come to you? Okay, so all through the 90s, I wanted to be involved in filmmaking, and I was not from a background where that was something that I had in my past. I did not, the idea of even like being able to afford a video camera wasn't something that all through the eighties and I, I would have never, that was just out of my reach. It's really poor. It was hard enough to just get skateboards, you know? Um, and then in the nineties, I started talking to my buddy, Bill Baker. How could we make a movie? Could we do this? Could we do that? And he knew about all kinds of tech stuff. He'd be like, dude, we need to spend at least this much money. You need, and I still, I just want to do the label. I couldn't think about it. Then I saw this film called Walking Between the Raindrops that somebody made. <laughs> this is a true story. My, I showed it to my friend Matt Matsuoka, and he immediately said, like, while we were watching it, I am making a movie. Like, This is so bad. Done. If he can make this movie, I'm making a movie. <laughs> I mean, that's, listen, listen, take that from both sides. I love right? it. Like, I, am, because, I am honored. <laughs> because like it's not like you could look at the movie Matt made which was called Heartbreak Beat or look at my movie that that was also directly inspired by you and then through being involved in the process with Matt seeing how it would work and being like okay I can make this work uh, the, any criticism that we would make of uh, anybody would make of your movie you just make of ours too that's that's part of just how it works but man that just that blew our minds we saw we saw that it could be done and I it's just like everything along the way. Saw that someone could make a record and put out a record. Saw that someone could do a band. Saw someone do it, and they, they trailblaze. Like they go out and they figure out the tour stops, right? And then you go on tour next year. So Matt and I went on tour the year after you did. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because you came to it. Um, I mean, I was sort of similar just in the sense of I'd done ringside records for a very short amount of time. But... Ringside, compared to what Excursion Records was, would literally be like comparing a match to a bonfire. Like, like you literally had... Well, I'm saying, dude, you had Undertow. You well, had I like, just want to say, I want to say a match to like a, a slightly larger match. <laughs> and the, I, the, bonfires were, the bonfires were like real label. <laughs> well, no, but dude, you distributed bands. You were, you were in like this hub, especially at that time, Seattle at that time. Just, just okay. I'm saying sub pop, like, like kind of all that, all that stuff. But um, you came to it, 
you already basically, which I mean, I kind of did, but you you had distribution kind of already. Like, did that feel good knowing, okay, wait, I'm going to make this. I'll put music into it so that angle could be interesting to people. Like, did that kind of ever come into your mind? All of that was, was part of it. Because the idea was, at, at no point did I think, I think a lot of filmmakers think they'll make a movie and then they'll sell the movie. And I, I didn't think that for a second. I thought it would come out on excursion. Right. And maybe right. I'd get a few people to watch it. And maybe I'd screen it a couple times and and uh, make the money back for it, which would only cost a few thousand dollars, you know. Um, and, yeah, that was that was it. And then I just thought, well, I'll at the time, I'll, I'll make VHS copies and sell them through excursion. Maybe I'll make 100. Maybe I'll, I did 200. Let's see how they do. In the end, I ended up making like twelve hundred copies of it on VHS, I think, and then I did a DVD release later. So, how, how many then, did you do on DVD ultimately? Two thousand. Gotcha. Okay. Two thousand of the U.S. release, but there was a German and Spanish release of it also. Sidonia. And there's Sidonia, yes. And then uh, and uh, oh oh, why can't I think of? I'm so sorry. Trust the guys from Trust uh, did the German one, and then. At one point, there was going to be a Russian version of it, and they said, they sent me a message and said, can you send us a script? We're making a DVD version of your movie, and we want to make sure the subtitles are right. And they weren't saying, like, hey, we want to make a deal. They were like, no, we're, we're doing a bootleg. We just, we just want, and I said, oh, cool. Here you go. Here's the script. <laughs> make sure the subtitles are right. Because <laughs> what am I going to do at that point, you know? Well, that's what's interesting like you bring up two things that are that are really interesting is the idea of and just sort of the sort of empowerment of I'm going to make this and I'm going to do this myself which is which is like don't get me don't get me wrong like like I make a bunch of movies now like I I, I and 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 there's something that I make and I know I'm going to be releasing it I'm going to be doing the digital and 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 depending on the kind of movie that it is I'll be doing the DVD um, but then there are other movies that I make, and it's usually the movies that I put way more time into, that maybe before I go down the Anadinia Films distribution route, I will kind of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, sort of show it around a little bit, yeah. a little bit more. But I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, one thing that I often find, because, you know, I would find people that would want to release the movies, but then you start looking at their deals, and then you kind of realize they're not going to really do much more for your movie than, I mean, a few times that's bitten me in the ass, but did, have, have you found that in your dealings with distribution? For the movie specifically? Yeah, well, I'm more, or, or, or all of it, because then I have another question that you just made me think of that I'm, that I'm going to write down. Oh, um, no, my, I've, totally happy with the way stuff happened with the movie everybody that was involved with that that was that was great um you know with a record label you have all kinds of trouble you got people who don't pay or or you know I, I my deal that i ended up getting for excursion for a lot of the 90s was with dutch east india trading when they were around they had done um i had just been sending records that i was distributing for friends to them so Dutch East would send up these faxes to record stores and every week they'd get orders based off that and they'd sell out everything that I sent them. And so eventually they said, Hey, we're doing really well with you with this stuff that we're distributing. We could like, you know, pay for records, do like a P and D deal. 
And so I was doing that, and I the deal I made with them was it doesn't have to be every record I put out. It's a record that I can't afford to do. So I'd do seven inches and compilations and stuff, and then I'd get something like The Undertow where we just couldn't put the money up. And they'd be like, hey, here's recording money. Here's We're going to do real covers. We're going to do CDs, you know. Um, and so we, I did that with them for 10 releases. It was It was fine, but then, you know, I had no control over – how it got distributed or things like the barcodes that get put on them, things like that, that were people were worried about that stuff at the time. Right. 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 Um, and, uh, and yeah, like I think I probably ended up doing more than I could have otherwise because of that deal. But, um, you know, in the end it just came to an end. It was fine. I did 10 records that way. I don't know. I, I don't have any, any complaints about it other than I couldn't just open the books and look at the numbers. Well, I would have liked to have been able to do that. Is that why, because like, I know a lot of people, me probably being one of them that at that time had someone come to me and said, with, let's even just say with my uh, movies, although I did have some problems with this, so maybe it wouldn't have been as easy, but literally came to me and said, Hey, um, if someone would have said, Hey, we'll put out your movies. We're going to give you X amount of money deliver this amount. I mean, I would have done every movie through them. At least I think that I would. Why did you still want to release? Like, why did you still want to put out, like, you know, why do you want to work with your hands? Why do you want to, you know, why not just sort of be like the mogul and, oh, I'll do this, this, and this. Like, like what was that thought process? So I've always been that guy. Like I, you know, I had a skateboard shop when I was 16 years old. It was an actual store in Bellingham that was open for two years and we did all that pretty much ourselves also. And I started the record label and I had done up until the point with the Dutch East, I'd done everything myself. I didn't want to go from like, if you were like, Oh yeah, you'll never have to make your own handmade cover again. You're not going to have to stamp covers and number anything. I'd be like, well, then why am I doing it? Gotcha. Like what, where am I going to get my artistic output and create creative? Like I don't really play music. It's all my friends are the ones that are talented that can make these great songs and do these awesome things. I, this is how I play my part. So, yeah, I wanted to. And I, I was still involved. I was still involved with layouts and things. But I, I wasn't willing to because there was an offer that they could just take over everything. And I would just make decisions. And I said, I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I would rather just not do it at all than do that. And I said, OK, well, we'll just do records on a one by one basis for you if you want. You just make the decision. Tell us. I thought that was really cool. I also liked that they were just willing to be like, eh, OK, whatever. Just. You tell us the amount of control you want us to have, and we'll go with that. No, that's cool. So that was good. But I just, yeah, if I have to be, got to be hands-on. Well, no, I mean, and that's the thing, is that's one thing that I've sort of found along the way. Like, I've sort of come to realize, like, I like the distribution stuff. Like, I like, I, I, I love that aspect of it. Like, I love kind of contacting people and, oh, you're going you're gonna to take the movies or, oh, I made X amount, you know, on streaming or, you know, oh, hey, like some movies I'm going to do a DVD for, some movies I'm not. And now what I find that it's about is, well, you know, packaging, like, like, like how can I package this? Like for, for instance, um, finding that distributor recently and with the Edge of Quarrel DVDs that I'm distributing and say, you, you, you know, I'm going to make an X pin just because why not? There should be a pin that should go with this that, that people buy it, whether they're straight edge or not, whether they know anything about straight edge, they're gonna get and they're gonna get an X pin. So and there's more on that I want to talk to you about later. But uh, Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. But what I wanted to ask now was um 
how'd you write like how'd you write that script for Edge of Coral? How long did it did it take you? Was it a long process? What what's the deal? Okay, so <laughs> it was real inspired by Robert Rodriguez's uh, Rebel Without a Crew book. I Which appears that, in Heartbreak Beat. Oh yeah. Uh, it does. Okay. He's in the parking lot or something, and he's I, it may be Rocky holding it, and there. And it, but it would that, be no. That would be that would be Jeff DeGoyer playing. Uh, we're talking about Heartbreak Beat or Edge of Coral. Uh, in Heartbreak, because doesn't I, I don't think it appears in Edge of Coral, or am I wrong? So no, I don't. I don't know that it does or not. I can't remember because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure Jeff is in a parking lot and Carrie Whitney's character comes over to him and he's reading a book. Gotcha. I think that must, that must be it. And that was, yeah, Matt was really inspired by Rodriguez also. We, I mean, come on at the time. Oh, oh all of us. Come on, dude. You read that and yeah. wait a minute. He did that for $7,000 and then Sony bought it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so I, I was driving for Kinko's and I start and I had, I had tried writing scripts before. So I tried to write a script, had no idea how to do it. it was just writing words on paper. Um, I had an idea I was going to make this movie called Doubting Thomas about it. it was the guy that's possessed by a D. I don't know. I was going to do this thing with all my friends. And then I was going to make this thing that was a series of shorts. I kept writing this stuff down and never knowing how I was going to do it. And then I went and got a book called, it's on a shelf, it's over here. Screenwriting 434 by Lou Hunter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not read and, that, but I know that book. Yeah. And so reading that was the first time it was like, oh, there's rules to how to do this. So he had, he talked about a step outline. So I just took a notebook with me to work and I was driving around this delivery truck and I, it's a lot of time to think, you know, I'm, I'm at stoplights. Sometimes I'd be at stoplights scribbling in this notebook and there'd be a honk and I'd have to go, you know, it was like pre cell phones, but I'm still distracted driving, <laughs> writing my script. So once I had notes then I went, okay, now I'm going to go home and make this look like a script. So I just used Word and just recreated all the different, uh, uh, come on, man, columns, you know, that you need for, for dialogue and stuff. The first time I showed somebody, before I had a, a screenwriting software program, I showed somebody a script and she read it. She, she said, your ellipses are, are wrong. Did you write this in Word? And I was like, I did. She was like, I can't believe it. Like it's exact other than that. And I don't think this was Edge of Coral. I think this was something else that I'd written, but was now <laughs> now um what do you what do you write in now? Okay, so right now I'm working on a feature, like a found footage feature with a friend of mine in LA named James Ersted. And we've been going back and forth co writing this thing. And I'm doing a touch up on it right now to send to him. And he's going to, it's an indie film. He's going to start filming it before too long. We've been working on that for a couple of years. But um, um, what do you guys write in? Like, are you in final draft? Oh, oh, are you oh. in... Sorry. I no, no, no. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to all that. No, no, no. And that's right. By the way, by the way, you're very smart to do a found footage film. And you're very huh? genres. No, I, I'm like, I, horror is, is like horror, the sci-fi stuff. Um, Found footage. A lot of that stuff, from from what I've seen and from the distributors that I deal with, especially with my movies and just talking to people in general, it it uh, what's 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 the word? 
the genres. Like, it, don't get me don't don't get me wrong. Like, I happen to love that stuff. So, um, I mean, I'm not just making. Oh, that's what I could maybe sell is because of, no, no, no. Like, I genuinely love that stuff. But I mean, hearing that you're doing that, I'm like, okay, okay. He this is. <laughs> he's probably going to be very pleasantly surprised by the avenues that he's going to find this is able to go down. I, I certainly hope so. I, it, James is putting his all into it. And you know, it's his story. He was the one that came to me with a, a – we changed it a couple times, but the whole time he's been, we should do this found footage. And here's how we would do it and try to make it not fall into the pitfalls of other found footage. I think – I bet you every person that made a found footage movie after the first couple, like, they got big. Yeah. Like, how do we do one that doesn't fall into the pitfalls? I, <laughs> the pitfalls probably you don't even anticipate the ones you're going to fall into necessarily. Right, right. But then no, final final draft. I'm trying yeah. to answer that question. <laughs> final draft is what I use now. Which is amazing. The amazing thing about final draft, because and I often talk with Mike Hartsfield about this, is like because I, I started with final draft one when it was on discs, and now you can <laughs> like like I do it on my iPad. And what's crazy is like this like it's like ten bucks to like get it on your iPad. I'm like this thing is amazing. But the craziest thing was like. When I when I first bought Final Draft, it was like three hundred something bucks. I'm like, wow, that's that's a lot of money. And then I remember I was writing a script with Darren Doan, and I noticed he's writing this thing in Word, just like what you said. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like, going like, like, like that's when I really that's when it really hit me. Like it really doesn't matter if you can make it look. I mean, I mean, I guess it probably obviously for you and that Mr. Ersted gentleman, it probably mattered just in terms of. You know, you send him something, he sends you something. Yeah, it's easier now, for sure. Yeah. We send each other the, the final draft files, yeah. But then, um, so then, overall, how long would you say that it took you to get Edge of Coral written? From the notebook to the typing up in Word. Probably answered this question before differently. <laughs> six, to nine, six to nine months? Gotcha. I don't know because a lot of it was also it would go through different it would go through changes ideas about what it was going to be and then I'd also be talking about because as soon as I was done with it I was not going to write another draft of it I'm going to film the movie right of course so a lot of it was also okay here are the things I'm going to have access to now I can write that scene it wasn't like I'd write the scene necessarily and then go find out how to do it. I wouldn't write the scene until I knew I could use the record store or I could, I, you know what I, so stuff like that, uh, you know. Wow. No, no, just, no. That's, that's, that's interesting. So you didn't write it and just like kind of write the whole thing and then go and try to find the places you would write and then maybe stop for a little bit and be like, okay, wait, I need to talk to so-and-so to see if I can get access to this or that. I think so. But bear in mind it being 20, almost 25 years ago now, everything is it's hard to remember how much time was passing there. So one big thing that I was doing is I was singles going steady was a record store that had opened up in Seattle and Derek Fidesco from Mercy Devils was working in there and, and the, the owner Pete and I would stop in cause they were between where my deliveries were and where the Kinko's was. So I always stop in and talk to them and I'd be like, here's today's idea. And so I was telling them about things I was going to do and, and just having fun talking trash with those guys and so it just kind of that record that is the record store that appears in the movie multiple times. So a lot of the movie was actually kind of conceptualized either on the way to that record store or in that record store also. 
Then so I, so that's that's one example. But then like, I, it's not like I would stop for months at a time. I would just kind of I just I, I didn't know how long it should take to write a script or what kind of time frame I was on. So I feel like it took more than six months. Do you write faster now? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Um, uh, as long as yeah. Then I wrote a, p- a pilot for an hour-long TV show uh, a couple of years ago, and I had I think I had 24 days or something from from the day I first heard about it, where you know the person I was talking to was like, "Hey, here's this idea I have. Do you want to partner with me on it?" Um, and we but we need to have a thing to submit on this date. I was like, "Oh," and just kind of dove in and created the whole thing. And so yeah, I can go a, a fair amount faster now. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm not writing. I'm not writing anything in a week, though. I'm not one of those people. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you think that you could? Like, let's say, let's say, let's say, if you had you and you're told, okay, there is a up a number. There's ten thousand dollars at the end of this week if you hand in a script. Oh, it would depend on so many things, but I. You um, would. You would. You could do it. You could do it. You've been right. writing I mean, this long. Like, hey, you could totally do it's it. A, it's a script about two guys that meet at a coffee shop. One of them's a cop, and one of them's a guy I went to high school with who's like the local head gangster. And they're basically just going to like bury their beef with each other because they've been enemies on the streets for the last 20 years, which is literally something I was going to write in the 90s. 